0: You're listening to IoT Leaders, a podcast from SI that shares real IoT stories from the field about digital transformation swings and misses, lessons learned, and innovation strategies that work. In each episode, you'll hear our conversations with top digitization leaders on how IoT is changing the world for the better. Let IoT Leaders be your guide to IoT, digital transformation, and innovation. Let's get into the show.
1: Welcome to the IoT Leaders Podcast with me, your host, Nick Earl, CEO of SI. And I'm delighted in this episode to introduce Vernon Turner. Hello, Vernon. How are you?
2: I'm good. I'm good. Nick, how are you doing?
1: Yeah, good. Thank you. Thanks for being my guest today. And um, Vernon uh, has got a great career and has started off in uh, programming, financial services, was at IDC, the research company on the East Coast of the US, which is where he is now, for 18 years, ended up as senior research fellow for uh, IDC, and actually ran the, headed up the IDC IoT practice. So very relevant to this job. He then went to Cisco for a while, and now runs his own business. So so a very broad view, uh, a great contributor to this whole theme of the podcast, which is demystifying it, what's the lessons learned, and how can we uh, act as a guide to people as to uh, how to successfully design and implement IoT projects. So I couldn't think of anyone who has such a broad experience as yourself. I'm setting you up here, Vernon, for for some fantastic content. (laughs) But, uh, you know, let's get going. I I said in the intro that, that you have this varied background. Maybe Just to introduce yourself and give some idea to the listeners of the sort of roles that you've done throughout your uh, distinguished career.
2: Thank you Nick. I've been in this industry a long time and it's interesting at the various stages of my career everything has come down to the fact that it's all about the data whether it's in the financial services and you're trying to figure out I got a billion dollar transaction here a wire transfer did it get from me to you Nick or did it disappear in the network? Did it slow down? Was there latency issues? You know, So really, really complex problems that are hard to scale. When you think of the work at IDC, the whole idea of building an IoT practice is, is one that we, we looked at carefully and said, we need to look at every element of the IT stack from semiconductor to the network into the cloud, because customers are gonna build new solutions taking their enterprise infrastructure and whether they process the applications on the enterprise or in the cloud they're going to move a lot of that stuff to the edge and the edge to me is is something i've looked at for about eight years now at idc I, i i felt there was something going on here that i wasn't comfortable with nick you know i asked cios i said we're going to." build these systems at the edge of the network. We're gonna take your applications out of the nice warm security blanket and put them on the factory floor or on a ship or, or on an oil well. What are you gonna do with that data? And I almost pulled my hair out with the answers. They, they looked at me and go like, we're just gonna keep it. And I said, but yeah. how, where are you gonna keep it? What are you gonna do with it? And I think, you know, Nick, That's to me is one of the driving forces why I love this so much. It's like there's so much quote, unquote legacy lessons that we have learned from the enterprise that we could easily apply to the edge. And it's this learning curve of bringing everybody along and standing back and saying, have you thought about resiliency? Have you thought about latency? Have you thought about security? Oh, and have you thought about what are you going to do with that data that you wanted to create in the beginning?
1: And where in the network topology it needs to be, where, where it's at rest, i.e. stored, uh, where it moves. And uh, you know, I agree with you. I, we'd like to think, wouldn't you, that having learned these lessons with a centralized model, the mainframe, which became decentralized to minis and then very much decentralized with PCs, phones, whatever that we'd, when it came to the edge, the IoT edge. Uh, we'd say, oh, well, we know what the model is. But but absolutely, an awful lot of people start off with IoT projects and just really don't know what to do with the data or what data they need. And, of course, the amount of data collected at the edge is just exponentially bigger, isn't it? Because the nature of the edge is not just your employees or, or your customers. We're now talking your products, you know, things. So, so the edge is... Many, many times bigger than everything else added together in terms of possible points where you could collect data, which which gives a lot of challenges, doesn't it?
2: It does. It does, and yeah, you know, whether whether it's a, a billion things that will get connected or whatever the number is, it's it's going to be massive. And I think you I think you framed it really really well because traditionally we 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 have had thousands or even maybe hundreds of thousands of of End points. End
1: points, you know, the, yeah. We thought yeah. they were the end, but they actually, they're, 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 they're actually now midpoints. Right.
2: So so one of the one of the difficulties with with any of the IoT projects that I see is that no disrespect to our teenagers, if we have teenagers or even tw- you know, people in their twenties, everybody thinks they that that an IoT project is simply get a sensor and I'm gonna connect it. And and I, I stopped them right away and I said, the minute you connect that sensor, are you ready? Are, it's almost like a race. Are you ready to know what to do with that data? And, and the argument I make about that, you know, the, the, the teenagers is, is one of our children, when she when she was 17, 18, she could have easily have connected a sensor at home. And then either thinking, well, I've done a really good cool thing, Dad. You know, the, the refrigerator door is open not knowing that I that she's opened up the whole home to the vulnerabilities of what's out there on the network. The same thing happens on the industrial and commercial side, Nick. I ask customers and clients, I say, have you lost your marbles? I mean, have you understood that the minute you turn this on, do you know what's going to happen to your data? And, and you know, that's, that's one of our taglines in, in our company. You know, we talk about, we start your journey with, with IoT, but quickly connect you to the bigger business outcomes. Because I think not knowing what that data can do for you is an issue. Let me, let me give you an example. One of the exercises that I've I've done to try and justify an IoT project for, for customers is to stand back and say, how much improvement are you looking for? Are you looking for 10%? Are you looking for 20% improvement on efficiency, reduction of costs, whatever. And, and you really don't know, I've shared this exercise with, with many customers. They said, well, let, let's take a look at what 1%, Right. what would 1% improvement of your business expenses because you're running an IOT application yeah. or a suite of applications? Yeah. So, so in other words,
1: if, if you accept the principle that IOT generally uh, the use of that data, which, as you say, is a hard one. But if, you, if we could capture that data, if you could use that data, and it, if that then translated through to a business outcome that saved you just 1% of something that's critical to your company, what could that be worth? That's what you're talking yeah. about. Right. You know,
2: There's always the way that says, if you say to somebody, can you save me a million dollars? And they'll say, no, but I can, I can find a million ways to save you one dollar. Right. I mean, that's it's almost the same argument. What I say is forget the 10%, 20%, because those are big, audacious goals yeah. down the road. Let's start with 1%. And in many ways, it's it opens up their eyes, because if IoT can save them 1% of the factory floor costs, I then ask them, I say, okay, so what was your profit last year? What was your profit in the company? And Often, the, the, the 1% savings in some multinational corporations is easily equal to 10 or, or even 15% of increased profits or sales to them. Take it a little, take it a little further on, on more, more um, I'll call it more sustainable. We've seen projects where, and in the UK, for example, I've I, I seen it last week, where the water leakage from the water systems... Because we built these, <laughs> we learned a lot from the Romans how to build, you know, water aquifers and and deal with it. But we didn't figure out how to update them since the Roman times.
1: Yeah. So they're leaking. All, all
2: the leaking, all this infrastructure is leaking. And um, I did the same thing with with the in the U.S. here, and I and I looked at the amount of water leakage, and I simply said, if if there was IoT sensors that could show, predict, and stop the water leakage, what would be the outcome? And Nick. It would equate to thirty percent of all the domestic usage in the U.S.
1: Vernon, we've talked about this in in other podcasts, and the whole point about getting to the business outcome, and and looking at the the payback for IoT is not so much in selling IoT, you know, cool gadgets with smart features. A lot of people think, oh, if I had these features. I could sell more, but that's really not the payback because as you're pointing out, it, it's the payback is in the optimization of, of, of backend processes. And
2: yeah. in our own
1: part of IOT, you know, we, we provide ubiquitous connectivity, a global cellular connectivity from a single SIM embedded on the board of a device. So it can go to any network and you never have to change the SIM card. But the point about that in relation to the, the point you just made is what does that enable you to do? Well, it enables you to create a single product SKU as a manufacturing company that you can just ship all the way around the world, sell through retail and not have to have an installer or a customer, you know, insert a SIM or, 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 or change the SIM or anything like that, which means that you actually have fewer SKUs. So you have a single SKU. So for example, Bosch, just as you were speaking, I was thinking of that, you know, Bosch have robotic lawnmowers but just uh, talking here as we come into spring in 2021 and, and, you know, they're ramping up their lawnmower production, but they have a, a single product skew. And so this, and they sell it through, you know, retailers in about 50 or 60 countries. It's the same product. That's the point. It's the same product. So, and it, and, it, and it's IOT enabled. And what that means is their savings on their manufacturing, their supply chain, their warranty process, because they can communicate with the device and it's always the same device, the same firmware in the device. Those savings are absolutely enormous and absolutely dwarf uh, the revenue actually that they can get from selling more IoT enabled lawnmowers versus somebody else's IoT enabled lawnmower. So I think your point is a good one, is that one of the key things about justifying an IoT project, which you must have got involved a lot in in IDC, is actually looking in the right place for the ROI. And the ROI is in the optimization of back-end company processes.
2: Yeah. So, so you raised two very important points for me. One is that there has to be a, a time to value that customers really um, accept. We've seen these numbers, even from Cisco, you know, doing studies and other, uh, other companies, that would say 80% of all IoT projects fail. Okay. To look out a proof of concept and the argument there for, for me is, is, is one that when when we're scoping out these projects, particularly if you're in the operational technology side or, 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 or even any type of business, if it takes too long to implement, if it's too difficult to get the outcome and this is where I categorize it as the time to value if customers don't see this down this implementation, very quickly so they can start to reap that benefit, then you know, then these projects are, are almost dead on arrival. And 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 I don't think that that's well thought out of because it goes back to the idea that well anybody can do this. Let's just plug it in and see what happens. Right.
0: The thing
2: is the second point is they don't really appreciate the difficulty of the backend processing that has to be integrated into this. Yes. And Nick, you and I have talked about digital transformation and becoming a digital company for for many years now. The one thing I look at, the one thing I look at when I I talk to CIOs, I ask, and, and the question is, you have an IoT strategy and you have a, quote, unquote, digital transformation strategy. Are they connected? Are they in sync with each other? Because iot strategy will expose the data silos and the lack of transparency that customers are going to want to have when you go down this journey become a digital company because what will happen is you'll create more and more data silos after all you know you and I joked about it we've got to create data yeah now for me the issue that these enterprise systems the back-end systems, need to play a a sort of very underestimated role here. We gotta make sure that there is immediate transparency between these divisions in the company, these groups in the company who have have the data. And the reason why is very simple. We're gonna move from what I call a make and sell concept where you make a product like the lawnmower and you sell it to, to you and me, and that's the end of the relationship to an ecosystem of a sense and response with the customer in the middle. And it's it, it, the customer is going to know real time how well the lawnmower is doing. Is it, breaking, is, is it broke or is it not? But if it's broken, the repair systems, the supply chain management, predictive maintenance, preventative maintenance, field service engineering, all of that has to come together almost real time. And that's a different experience
0: yeah. that
2: customers have. And in, in your particular case, multiply that onto a global onto a global network, onto, onto IoT assets that move around. Those systems have to be in sync with each other. That's to me is, is a fundamental question I ask CIOs. Is a straightforward question. If the answer is no, I'm not a very good salesman. I pack up my bag and go because I think this is going to be a failure project. This is going to be. This is not going
1: to work out. It's such a tough problem for customers, isn't it? Because every you uh, delve a bit deeper in IoT, you get more more advice from everyone, our, ourselves, everybody else. You know, everyone saying, "Well, you need to think about this. You need to think about that." Mm-hmm. You know, it's sort of like the IoT iceberg. It's actually almost <laughs> TOI, the top <laughs> of the iceberg. <laughs> <not> IoT. <laughs> you know, it's the IoT iceberg. it looks great. And, if I could do that, would that be cool? And then you look underneath, and all those things are under the waterline. And what you're saying is that if you don't fix those and align those to your IoT strategy, you're actually going to create a worst experience for your customers, and they'll hate you for it, and they might never forgive you. They may leave you, because just by fixing the bit above the water, but leaving the old processes that are based on doing things in the non-IoT way is actually going to make the problem worse. And you right. just gonna get all this data, and the customers say, "But I've told you that you've got access to it." You know, it's the old phoning the call centre, and and you got a question, say, "Oh, I can't trans, I can't answer you. I'll transfer you." So you wait and you listen to some awful music, and then somebody says, "Hi, hello, can I help you?" He said, "Yeah, it's about my conversation I've just had," and they say, "Sorry, what's your name?" It, no, you, they did brief you when they transferred the call, right? And of course, they're completely siloed. They've implemented a call centre, but all the backends. Uh, systems are are all completely siloed and what you suddenly realize is there's no common definition of the customer and so it is a problem that we've been dealing with years but some people are really getting through it and being successful i want to go back and talk about something that you raised earlier on which we just touched on but but i think listeners would want us to double click on and that's issue the issue of of security so let's assume for the moment that you know, you've you've got a project. You you think you know what the one percent is worth. You, yeah. know, you know, I think we can get ten million dollars out, and we I want I want approval to spend a hundred thousand dollars giving it a go. And you've worked out your data model. Uh, you know what data stays at the edge, what data has to be uh, back or, or or sent backwards, the metadata perhaps. What data should be stored? What data doesn't uh, doesn't get stored? So you've got your model. You've got your plan and then the uh the cso the chief information security officer says hold on a second i just want to check are you saying that all these things these devices are going to have an ip address and are they going to be secure in other words i hear stories you know i don't know solar winds or or whatever whatever it is people hear these stories of devices with you know password one two three four or getting hacked and people tunneling back in because the you've expanded the threat perimeter massively with IOT. Right. And there was a big debate in the industry about, around mobile phones, cell phones, when you know, you know it was bring your own device. And I said, no, 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 you need to have a company device because I need to put security on the device. And people talk about agentless security, that sniffers that, that sense what's there and then give you security of the devices without you having to put a piece of software on the device. The problem with IOT, is that you can't see these devices because they're not wired with an ethernet cable to your network, they're going, they're connecting via a, a telecom company, a, a say Verizon. Uh, Verizon is then connected to an MVNO like us. Uh, we're then taking that data, we're putting it into the cloud and we're sending it to the enterprise. So you can't use a sort of network sniffer. So but all these devices can in theory be compromised now, I'm building up to asking you a completely impossible question because we know the industry hasn't solved this, but but what is your advice in general based on your experience, either either in your 18 years at IDC and your Cisco experience or, or your new company Causeway Connections, which we'll, we'll, we'll come on to, what is your experience and advice really is what I'm saying. What is your advice to people about how they go about that? Because you can't ignore it.
2: No, and... I, I, I... For, for a long long time every time at, at idc or even my independent s- surveys when you ask customers um, what's the most important fact or what's the what's the most imp- what's the most important inhibitor to do in an iot project and the ones that would would get it would say security security so there is a there is a mindset that says yeah but i think the issue again is is there's this there is something about iot that give people an, uh, a weird sense of of, of call it security, because they, they say, well, it didn't cost much. I mean, this this sensor was, well, I'll say a hundred a hundred dollars because I've seen some sensors that are a hundred dollars. It's still only a hundred dollars. If I'm a if I'm a big enterprise customer, it's not a lot of money. Therefore, everything should be okay. I I, I think the the ar- argument is they underestimate the damage that can be done. With a hundred dollar sensor that's connected to your network, so I think what happens is there's no validation at the done by customers when they buy the sensor themselves.
1: Yeah, especially off the shelf off the shelf products, which we've seen by the way in SI, we've seen off the shelf products. I won't name the supplier, but we've seen off the shelf products that transmit the data. To certain countries in the Far East, without you knowing it, <laughs> and they are available on the on the internet, and they're very very cheap, and there's a reason why. There is firmware, spyware, whatever inside those devices.
2: Yeah. Sure. The second is is, uh, and we both have some network background, so the idea of creating segmentation in in your network infrastructure is fundamentally a a table stake for anybody building out an IoT solution, so that. For example, on, on the factory floor, if you've got a robotic arm, that robotic arm is doing certain tasks. It's collecting data all day long. Now, the question is, who sees that data? And, and you want to be able to segment or fence, fence that robot in a productive manner that says, if you're, say, Cuckoo's robot robotic arm, then Anybody that interacts with, with cuckoos and the robotic arm are the only people that should have access to that data. Once a virus or attack comes in, and if you don't, if you only have flat networks, then kiss everything goodbye because, you know, your, your, your virus is just going to go everywhere. And I think people forget the fundamentals of, of network security. So it should be segmented. I think, you know, at the sensor at the gateway into the cloud or onto the onto the onto the telco network but i i I really really think this whole idea of taking spending time to validate the sensor and create this this layered approach of security is the only way you can do it now it's a pain but i'd rather have that pain up front than trying to dig myself out of some ransomware or
1: right which which by the time you see it they've probably they who they are and you might never find out they've probably been in your network for days by definition by the time you see it it's too late you know there are some other companies though in in general in the world of iot there are some companies and some new models that is actually making this easier because my point earlier is that you, you can never catch the ball that's bouncing down the stairs the iot ball is is exploding exponentially and we're using linear solutions to try and solve it by trying to put a bit of code on uh, what you're talking about is a good way of doing it the segmentation but ultimately when we get to 20 billion things we're at 11 today 50 billion things 500 billion things we you know you you have to have a different model i'm very encouraged by what the hyperscale cloud guys are doing which is the idea of if your data goes to the cloud the idea of central policy management Mm -hmm. deployed to the edge so you set your policy centrally which is after all what we did in the in the previous waves of um, innovation, you know, we 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 set the policy in the mainframe; it was easier to control. But then we did, you know, for data centers, you, you set the policy centrally for virtual data centers, virtual networks, and deploy it automatically to the edge. In just this case, the edge is hundreds of times bigger. But the idea of saying, simple example, you know, anomaly detection behavior or configuration management process policy. Set the policy at the centre, the, and then when any device accesses a DNS address that it shouldn't do, so you know this this lawnmower should only access these DNS uh, addresses, or this APN, uh, or this it should only be configured this way. And if anyone changes the configuration, do an alert, uh, quarantine it, flag it, and fix it, and then let it back in. I think you know even things like that may not be enough. But certainly, I think the lessons that we've learned over the last 10-15 years as cloud uh, came to the fore is that you have got to use software for this and you've got to have mass scalability. And often these things are just not capable inside a, a IT environment inside, even the largest company. I mean, you know, I'm sure you found that when you were working in the banks in Boston and on the East Coast, that they'd spend a fortune on on, on IT, but it's still hard for them, even with all that budget. M- money doesn't solve this problem Is what alone. You need a different way of doing things.
2: But I think, you know, Nick, if, if our listeners go away with one thing, and, and this is me being selfish here, to go away with one thing today, it'd be your comment about security. And it would be this this combination of, of policy and segmentation. And I, and I think the policy one is, Again, another undersold attribute that the enterprise guys or the cloud guys have had for years that customers, again, don't take the, don't stop and think about, I've now got 10,000 of these things instead of just 50. What am I, you know, how am I going to secure these in a scalable manner that that's not going to break the bank by having to, to deploy so many people to do this? that it has to be done over, you know, you know, on, a, on a software model for sure. So, so thank you for bringing
1: that up. Um, well, I, I think uh, bring it up because everybody mentions it. And, and for instance, I work with AWS, who are a security certificate issuing authority, uh, even with the Azure who aren't, but you can access the security certificate separately. They actually create the security certificate. You can program very simply your policy as a user, even if you're not, because a lot of these people aren't in the IT department, the people who are doing IoT are actually often the people who are in the product department. They're manufacturing the products, or they're the marketing department. So they yeah. they don't know any about about it anyway. And so the idea that you can set your policy very easy if this then or the, it can only do this, and if it does anything else, you know, uh, uh, quarantine, stop, whatever. The idea of the security certificate, you know, goes backwards over the network um, through the MVNO platform, gets stored inside uh, the SIM itself, the security mm-hmm. certificate, and ultimately. What will happen with iSims? Everything is going to get stored inside the silicon, and so the security management is—you know—my contention would be, and, and uh, many others would be, security is going to be the, a service provided for for us all by companies that have are a global, not regional, and b have massive scale. And I think, I think the big, large security companies and the and the hyperscale cloud infrastructures are the best hope we can of not having multiple solar winds or credit card hacks or, right. or, or, or whatever. Um, I want to make sure that we, um, give you some time to talk about what you're doing now, because after, um, you know, 18 years at IDC, a, a spell at, uh, Cisco a company I know well, cause as you know, I was there for 13 years. You've now got your own company. So Causeway connections. Why don't we tell our listeners what, what that's all about Ben? Well,
2: well, well thank, you. thank you thank you Nick. You know, my, my passion has always been rooted deeply in, in, in data and what data can do both as a business and societal outcome. And, and what I what I'm doing right now is helping customers decide where in the business stack do they want to go? You know, culturally do you have do they have the right to play in iot an example of that is one of my customers is an engineering firm that believes they have the right to move into the medical devices market space right and um, we're in the middle of doing the roi right now this is you know time to value um, and, and it's and it's interesting because i think one of the hardest pieces for them to accept is the cultural shift from selling industrial piece of equipment with a warranty card to becoming a digital company with a seven by 24 support center medical device. And then what happens with that?
1: That's a big change. So,
2: so, so the answer is, you know, how do we, do we move up the stack? The second one is this idea that if we're not going to move up the stack or we want to move up the stack, should we have, should we look at the adjacencies? Who do we partner with? So that one plus one for the customer is actually three because i I, again i'm a big proponent of this ecosystem model is going to be the way that customers are going to consume services from us from you but my my goal here is as as purely as the the advisor role um, i mean brought in to give the outside in opinion and i I use that word very very carefully because opinion is anybody anybody has an opinion But what I'm I'm trying to do is is bank it on, make the pun, bank it on the the fact that I've worked in in financial institutions that have massive scale, heavy transaction loads, large networks to this idea that inside IDC, where I became their first research fellow ever in the company on IoT, the idea that understanding from the silicon all the way to the enterprise at the back end is a really, really long journey. That you need to map out carefully. So I give that outside-in uh, viewpoint. So, so you
1: advise you advise clients on on their IoT projects.
2: Yeah, yeah, and 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 to be honest with you, um, I do a lot of it based on quantitative work, as just as opposed to just qualitative. That goes back to the opinion. It kind of goes you know goes back to the idea that. It's almost what we're talking about now. We should believe in the science of, of, of pandemics, what the data scientists are saying. And um, you know, so my programming background from from COBOL, FORTRAN, Assembler, SAS, now R, I'm not, I would never say I'm a data scientist, but I, I know enough about data to be able to help our customers make a decision whether this should be a go or no go.
1: You know, from now on, I'm, I'm going to think of you as the, the Dr. Fauci of IoT. Um, uh,
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but actually, uh, um, <laughs>
2: there's, there's so much fodder. There's I know.
1: Much... <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got to listen to the science, you know. Yes, well, you um, you Yeah, yeah. But, you know, let's, uh, given all of that experience, can you think of a, an industry? We always like to sort of end the podcast with either who do you think is doing cool stuff or who should we talk to? In your case, I want to ask a different question. IoT, we we all know, you know, if it was a baseball game, having uh, lived and worked in the U.S. for many years, uh, I actually think we're at the uh, bottom of the first on IoT, and that'll make sense to our American listeners, and for everybody else, it means in the early stages, very early stages. uh, You ain't seen nothing yet, and one of the challenges is that you know, if if you think about crossing the chasm and Jeffrey Moore, you know, we're in the innovators, early adopters, we're going to cross the chasm. And, and when you cross the chasm, there's you know the, the idea of the bowling pin principle. Certain industries are ripe for innovation. They tend to go first. We talked you know, a lot about vending machines, definitely happening vending machines, medical devices, absolutely, for obvious reasons, tracking telemetry, EV charging. But um, what else, what other industry do you think, uh, perhaps it might be fragmented, it might be inefficient, but what other industry do you think is ripe for IoT? Innovation, or what are the sector?
2: So, do I have to put a mask on to answer this question? <laughs> <laughs> as long as you
1: don't inject yourself with bleach, I'm fine.
2: <laughs> so, a really, really good question, you know, Nick. And and what's fascinating to me is is how come nobody, how come no other industry analyst, consultant, advisor has, has seen this? I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you a, a really good opportunity here. Or our listeners to, to take a take a look at the construction industry. We've done a lot. You know, you talk about early movers crossing the chasm. We've talked about smart buildings, we've talked about the whole idea of, of making the thing green and, and whatnot, and make it run better. I'm going back and saying, okay, how do we how do we construct these things? And Nick, in the US, playing the numbers game, it's about a 1.3 trillion trillion dollar industry in the us of which about 600 million 700 million is commercial buildings the rest are you know domestic what have you and the reason why i think this industry is ready for disruption and for innovation is a couple of things have happened one is there's a natural shortage of skilled workers in this industry we're not sending our children to, to trade schools is what we used to do Two. There's a significant lack of automation in in this industry. But the good news is the technology that you and I would follow, whether it be things like IOT, drones, 3D printing. I've actually seen 3D printing in the construction industry. That would blow your mind. So what's interesting to me is is there's there's a technology enablers are mature enough to make a business case to an industry that doesn't understand it particularly well and go back to the ecosystem when you think when you when you're building a large you know multi-floor tower block what the what the what it takes to make that thing happen is just enormous amount of data enormous amount of data that we don't know enough about and it's not just about the building itself if
1: you think the, about the infrastructure inside the building, like the oh, like the, the, elevate, the elevators, the elevators, the facilities, the company, the FM, the facilities management company that manages the yeah. building after it's been built, every, every single thing will be connected in those Absolutely
2: buildings. Right. So, so let me let me give you an example of of one of my one of my clients that I did an early engagement with. They build they they have corners in market for the academic buildings in New England. And they were building a um, 100 million dollar dorm for a large Ivy school in Boston. And he said to me, they put 15 to 20 percent, 15 to 20, $20 million dollars set aside as contingency, just in case whether bad product, you know delays, whatever. He goes, if we could predict what that was going to be when we build models into, into our bids, if we go back to the one percent, if we could just get some
1: yeah just get one percent better
2: I mean it would be amazing you know so you, you roll that forward it a 600 600 million dollar business you can see the you can see the saving right away so the construction industry you know Nick to me is fertile ground for IOt it's fertile ground for a whole host of innovation accelerators that um, I think we're going to see because of what I mentioned you know automation skill shortages expense, Great.
1: Great, A great example. And I'm sure that that is absolutely uh, going to uh, come true and be the case. A very fragmented industry that has an opportunity to reinvent itself around data, uh, the use of data. So, Vernon, uh, just before I I wrap up, and this has been great, thank you very much. Uh, I think we could have probably made this a three times longer podcast, but but, uh, I don't think that's what people would want us to do, at least in one episode. If people do want to get in touch with you, how, how do they get in touch with you?
2: Oh, Easy. There's, there's three ways. One, I'm, I'm always on LinkedIn. You and I are always having banter on LinkedIn. Two, I, I try to be sincere on Twitter. I'm not just a trash talker on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I knew I was
1: doing something wrong.
2: Uh, yeah, uh, and of course, you know, you can you can email me at Vernon at CausewayConnections.com.
1: CausewayConnections.com. Great. All right. Well, listen, let's uh, let's let's see there. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I, I certainly did. And thank you uh, to my guest, uh, Vernon Turner. This is the IoT Leaders podcast, where we try and bring you people, one guest per show uh, that has got experience in different parts of IoT. And certainly that was the case today. Now, if you want to get in touch with us, it's also simple. The best way is to send an email to Leaders at S-I-E-S-E-Y-E. Dot com. and you can just you know give us feedback or you could say look I think this is a subject we want you to go into um, as you found out today Vernon and I just went into subjects as the as the uh, conversation flowed and we're very very happy to do that you may even say I really think this person would be interesting to be on the show or maybe you want to be on the show so uh, get in touch but in the meantime thank you for listening and thank you again to my host Vernon Turner
2: cheers thanks Vernon. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to IoT Leaders, a podcast brought to you by SI. Our team delivers innovative, global IoT cellular connectivity solutions that just work, helping our customers deploy differentiated experiences and disrupt their markets. Learn more at SI.com.
0: You've been listening to IoT Leaders, featuring digitization leadership on the front lines of IoT. Our vision for this podcast is to be your guide to IoT and digital disruption, helping you to plot the right route to success. We hope today's lessons, stories, strategies, and insights have changed your vision of IoT. Let us know how we're doing by subscribing, rating, reviewing, and recommending us. Thanks for listening. Until next time.